0: listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit stonegate.church. So today we are starting a new set of sermons called Parable. Um, we are going to hang out this fall as a church family in the stories of Jesus. Now, if you just start to read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you just begin to read through the Gospels, it doesn't take long to see that Jesus is a master of storyteller. He loves to tell stories. Uh, They're just woven throughout Matthew, uh, Mark, and and Luke. Uh, Depending on how you count, there are 30 to 40 parables that you find there uh, recorded in the scriptures for us to see and consider. And and a parable is just a, a simple story taken from real life um, which, in, in a lot of ways, just illustrates or draws out a spiritual truth for us to consider. That's what a, that's what a parable is. And so, if you read that through the Gospels, there are stories about lamps and hidden treasures and a pearl of great price. There are parables of lost sheep and lost coins and lost sons. Uh, there are parables of weeds and wheat, of mustard seeds and fig trees, of a good Samaritan and a rich fool. Jesus is a master storyteller. We have a storytelling God. This is the sort of God that we see um, reveal himself in the Gospels. And essentially what we want to do for the rest of this year, um, all of this fall, is we want to consider the stories of Jesus, trusting that God as we're considering these stories will will begin to conform us more and more into the image of Jesus. That's the goal. That's what we're after. That's what we want this fall, is for these uh, these stories of Jesus to make us more like Jesus so today we are going to start with a parable called the parable of the seeds or the sower or the soils you could think of it in any one of those two or several ways out of Matthew chapter thirteen so let me let me kind of jump into this text by um, by, by in a lot of ways just welcoming you into what a Sunday morning feels like for me every morning uh, when I or every Sunday morning when I wake up um, I do so with such a a deep sobriety. There are very few things in this world that feel as significant to me as rightly preaching the Bible, God's Word. There are a few things that feel as weighty and as heavy. It's one of the greatest honors of my life, uh, the fact that God would give me a privilege to do something like this. Uh, but with that privilege comes weighty responsibility. I mean, it feels like a heavy responsibility. Pre- preaching God's Word comes with a sober warning from God. And you see that sober warning in James chapter 3, verse 1, uh, when James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Gosh, that feels weighty. Every Sunday morning I have to wrestle with that reality that God really does care about the heralding of his word. God really does care that for anyone who's going to stand up and say things on behalf of God to God's people, that God brings with that that sober warning, that God cares about these things, that God is really serious about what you say on his behalf, accurately and rightly reflecting him. God cares about the heralding of his word, so much so that he would offer that warning to accompany it. If you say yes to teaching and preaching, you are also saying yes to a stricter judgment. That's how much God cares about the heralding of his word. But in passages like the one we're in this morning, we see the other end of the stick. The Bible also makes clear that God cares about both the heralding and the hearing of his word. He doesn't just care about the heralding, that is important to God, but he also cares about the hearing of his word, how you hear it, how I hear it. It's not uh, preacherly hyperbole to say that your life hangs on your hearing. That should be equally sobering to you, right? Right? That, that, that your life, my life, hangs on our hearing, the, the way that we hear, how you hear, if you hear. Now, you see that in this text. If you read the first, you know, 23 verses of Matthew chapter 13, you're going to see that word hear or hearing appear 15 times in our passage. So it's, in a lot of ways, it's, it's acclimating us and opening our eyes to the, the point of this passage. That Jesus is walking us into the weight of that word, here. How important our hearing is. This is, in a lot of ways, the point of the parable. If you want to see the point of the parable in seven words, look at verse 9. When Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. That's the point of the parable. Jesus is coming to us and saying, your life. Not just the next hour of your life, the next day, the next month, the next year, the next couple of decades, but the next billion years, your life hangs on your hearing. That's how important your hearing is. And to help us see the, the importance of our hearing, all that hangs on our hearing, Jesus tells a story, and he uses a very familiar sort of farming picture, that the parable revolves around farming. So he tells the story of a man who is sowing seed. And I love how verse 19 explains the seed. He, he calls the seed the word of the kingdom. Now, I love that description. That, that is a description of the gospel. This is Jesus defining and describing what, what the good news is, what, what he came announcing. He calls it the word of the kingdom. Uh, it's interesting. The first recorded sermon we have of Jesus' ministry comes in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. And it's a summary statement. It's taking everything that Jesus said and just boiling it down into like a a simple, concise sentence. And here's the summary statement of Jesus' first sermon. Uh, Jesus stood up to preach, and and here's what he said. He said, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So so here's what we learn early on in Jesus' ministry. He came announcing that the kingdom of God is here. That was the summary of his sermon. The kingdom of God is here. And the kingdom of God is here because King Jesus, the the king is here. That's the reason the kingdom of God is here. And the king, Jesus himself, rules over everything. So, So part of what it means to repent and believe the gospel, what it means to become a follower of Jesus, it means that we willingly come under the authority of King Jesus, That we sign over the rights to our life. We we offer our life to King Jesus. Our life is now his. Our, Our life is now in the hands of the one who lived in our place, died in our place, rose from the dead on the third day, and now rules over all. That's what it means to become a Christian. This is the good news that Jesus was announcing. It was the word of the kingdom. So a man is sowing uh, this seed, the word of the kingdom, the good news of Jesus, the, the gospel. A man is sowing seed, and then the seed falls into, into one of four soils. And, you know, like any—if if you've been into gardening at all, if you've taken a deep dive there, Jesus is really just showing us in this story what you have come to know if you've done any sort of um, work in the gardening sort of sphere of life. Jesus is showing us that the health of the soil determines the growth of the seed. That where the seed falls, the condition of the soil determines the growth of the seed. And as Jesus explains the parable, we begin to learn that this story really isn't about a sower or seeds or or soils. This is really a story about the good news of Jesus and the human heart, the sort of hearts that the kingdom or the word of the kingdom the good news of Jesus uh, falls into it's a story showing that our lives hang on our hearing that's how important you rightly and appropriately hearing is and in this story our hearing is represented in one of the four soils now, before we go on, let me just encourage you. This is one of those parables where Jesus is, is asking you to put yourself into the parable. He's asking you to identify yourself somewhere in the story. These four soils in some way, shape, or form are going to represent y- you. So, part of what it even means to hear rightly today is that we're hearing in such a way where we are inserting ourselves into this story and identifying our place in the story. So, the story breaks down really easily into these four soils, these four ways of hearing. And when Jesus begins to unpack and show us, teach us, explain to us the parable, here's what we learn starting in verse 18 Matthew 13, verse 18. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. There's soil number one, uh, the path. So Jesus, again, is using very familiar sort of uh, gardening uh, imagery. It's a picture that everyone in the crowd would have been familiar with, this farming imagery. A man is in a field, and he's scattering this seed. And as he's randomly and, and just literally scattering this seed, some of those seeds fell on a path. And, and the path was so hard that the seed could not break through the surface of the soil. It could not penetrate and break through the soil. So the seed, rather than burying itself in the soil, sprouting and producing a fruit for the farmer, rather than doing all of that, the seed stays on the surface and becomes food for the birds. That's picture number one. But for those who had ears to hear, for those hearing rightly, they began to see another picture. And this is not a picture of a hard path, but of a hard heart. That's soil number one, a person with a hard heart. It's the picture of a person who hears the good news of Jesus, but it never, it never breaks to the surface of their heart. It never penetrates down into the depths of their heart. Rather than receiving the good news of Jesus, the word of the kingdom, they, they reject it. Rather than an open-hearted surrender to Jesus, they stiff-arm Jesus. That's soil one. And it's interesting, Jesus uses this sort of terminology uh, to describe this soul, or this heart. He says, once the seed is sown, Satan snatches, he snatches the word from their heart. Now that word snatch is a, it's a violent word. It's not a tame word, it's a a violent word. Our, Our enemy, Satan, actively opposes both the heralding and the hearing of the word. What's going on in this moment, Me, me preaching and you hearing, Satan right now is actively opposing. When you break open the Bible and read it, Satan is actively opposing that. He hates that. A- anything, everything he can do to snatch away the Word, this is what Satan does. When Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, he says it like this, the God of this world, Satan, our enemy, has blinded the minds of unbelievers, bl- snatching the Word away, bl- blinding the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Satan is actively opposing, opposing, violently snatching away the, the word, uh, blinding us, blinding us to the beauty of Jesus, uh, blinding us to the relevance of, of the gospel. Uh, you, you know what? Jesus might be good for you, but, but I, I just don't think he's for me. Uh, blinding us to the urgency of responding. Uh, why consider today what we could consider tomorrow? I, I'll get around to that later on in my life. Uh, just blinding our, our minds. Charles Spurgeon, he reminds us that this sort of thing is is possible in in our lives, in the lives of people. He he says, there is is such a thing as being gospel-hardened. Isn't that a sobering thing to consider? There is such a thing as being gospel-hardened. It's possible to sit under sermons till your heart becomes dead and calloused, never startled, never astonished by the grace of God. It's possible to to become gospel-hardened, and that's an apt description of this soil. It's just hardened to the good news of Jesus. So let's take a moment to apply this. Might this soil describe your heart? Is there a gospel, is your heart, has it been gospel hardened? What should be received as being stiff-armed and, and rejected? Jesus is painting a picture for the crowd and now he's asking you and I to just consider, might this describe us? Does this describe our heart? Are we rejecting what we should be receiving? Has our heart grown cold and calloused impenetrable to the things of God. Now, before we move on here, I I think I would be a fool to to not believe that some of us in the room, we fit this description, gospel hardened. It's been years since we have been able to weep over tears of joy, the grace of God in our lives. And I know that that many of us in in the room, we have people that we love so dearly that would fit this category, just hardened to the things of God. And if that's us or if we know someone who's in this category, here's what the Bible is telling us. Even Jesus' explanation in this parable will show us this. For everyone who is gospel hardened, the solution is for the grace of God just to do a miracle in us as it comes in like a plow and turns over our hearts. And so before we move on, I just wanna invite you to pray with me. I wanna stop and just pray right now for those in the room that fit this category, for those that you love that right now fit this category, for us just to ask God to do the miracle that needs to be done, amen? So will you pray with me? God, for any of my friends in this room today that is gospel-hardened, God, would you work the miracle? God, would you do what we can't? God, would you come in and give us ears that can actually hear and eyes that can actually see and a heart that goes from stone cold to an open heart of flesh? God, would you do the miracle? And God, I pray for those in the room who have parents that are gospel-hardened, co-workers that are gospel-hardened, neighbors that are gospel-hardened, sons and daughters that are gospel-hardened, spouses that are gospel-hardened. I just join with them in pleading with you, our sovereign and good God, to do the miracles. God, break open those hardened hearts. God, would you plow them with your grace? Would you turn over the soil in their heart, making them receptive to the seed of the gospel, the word of the kingdom? Oh God, would you do it? Even now as we're praying and pleading and asking, would you do it today? It's in your good name, amen. But then Jesus' story goes on, and you see the next explanation for the next soil start in verse 20. And Jesus says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, that's our second soil, on rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with with joy. I mean, with with a deep emotional response, with, with joy. Yet, he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Now again, this is common imagery, everybody in the crowd would have, would have known what Jesus is talking about here. Uh, the hill country of Palestine was infamous uh, for this layer of rock that set just an inch or two below the surface. So everyone in the crowd had seen plants that had sprung up and just growing like crazy, and then all of a sudden as quickly as they spring up they die when the temperatures rose. When the sun came out and scorched them. But for those who had ears to hear, they began to see another picture. Not just of rocky soil, but of a rocky heart. Or what we might call the superficial heart. They began to see this picture. They, they began to see a picture of a man who gladly and joyfully responded to the gospel. And listen, man, it was emotional. There were tears of joy streaming down their face, and it was like someone put Miracle Grow on them. I mean, they are growing and just, they are doing the thing. They are serving, they are reading, they are memorizing it. If there's something to do in the Christian life, they are all about doing that thing. This This is the rocky soil. They're doing it all until the sun of suffering and persecution came out. Then they fell away or they withered, they, they died. They had this emotional moment with Jesus, but they never had true conviction about Jesus. Do you see the difference between the two? There's a, there's a huge difference between those two. They had an emotional moment with Jesus, but not a true conviction about Jesus. I love how one of my friends put it. He said, this person didn't experience a conversion deep down at the level of their loyalties. That's the problem with with this person. And and here is the, the sobering thing about the rocky soil, this superficial heart. This is so common in our culture. It is so common in, in, in our current church culture. that the, the music is just right, the mood is just right, and the exactly right heart string is, is stirred, and there is this huge yes to Jesus. And it's a yes, they are all in. It is a yes to Jesus, but it is a superficial yes. It is a yes to Jesus that, that never counts the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. That superficial heart is everywhere in our culture. Now, notice the two reasons this passage gives for the withering and the dying and the falling away of this particular seed. Um, One you find in verse 21. Uh, Look at the second half of verse 21 there. He says, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. That plant withers and dies. Just as quickly as it sprung up, it disappears. Now now think about what this is showing us. It's showing us that this person, they they wanted Jesus, but they also wanted the ongoing applause of culture. They wanted both of them. Yes, it was yes, Jesus, but but it's yes to Jesus and the ongoing applause of culture. And, And when a decision had to be made, when they couldn't have both, they had to have either Jesus or the ongoing applause of culture, they chose the culture's applause over Jesus. For this person, following Jesus carried a social cost that they were unwilling to pay. Now, what a timely warning for every follower of Jesus in our current culture. Here is um, the truth about our culture right now it is applying more and more pressure on every follower of Jesus. Our culture is currently doing that. And when a culture does that, it leaves followers of Jesus. Uh, two options. Here's one option. We can remain faithful to Jesus and his word regardless of the cost. That's one option. We can remain faithful to Jesus. It doesn't matter what it costs us. We have counted the cost and Jesus is worth it to us. So we can remain faithful to Jesus and his word regardless of the cost, or we can redefine faithfulness to Jesus and his word to avoid all cultural cost. Those are the two options, but but let me be clear here. To redefine faithfulness to Jesus and his word is the same as abandoning Jesus and his word. That's what this text is showing us. To to redefine faithfulness to Jesus is to abandon Jesus. And that's what soil number two is doing. When when following Jesus carried a social cost, they hit the eject button and let go of Jesus. That was their answer to the moment. And church, I want to just say this clearly to us today. Jesus doesn't see persecution or social alienation or there being a social cost of following him. Jesus doesn't see that as a remote possibility in your life. Rather, Jesus sees it as a certainty in your life. We just need to come to grips with that. Just go ahead and like cross that proverbial line in the sand. When Jesus looks at your life, he doesn't see social alienation, you paying a cultural price for following him as a remote possibility. He sees it as a certainty. This is Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life, not some, not a few of us, but all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not, not a few, not, not most, but all of us. So let's receive that warning from Jesus. Maybe you can think of it this way. If being cool and following Christ are of equal value in your heart, then faithfully following Jesus is impossible in your life. I'm gonna say that one more time. If, if being cool and following Christ are of equal value, it will be impossible for you to faithfully follow Christ. We just need to decide, like, deep down in our hearts today, Jesus is worth it, regardless of the cost, amen? This is one of the reasons that they fall away. You could think of it as the external reason. Uh, persecution, a social cost uh, occurred. They were unwilling to pay that social cost. But then you look at the next reason in verse 21, and it's not an external reason, it's the root reason. It's the internal reason. Uh, so remember, that they, they sprung up. This person sprung up. The, the seed was sown in their heart. It sprung up. It looked great. I mean, th- these were the MVP Christians. They were doing it all, serving they They, they were all about it. it. It looked great for a season. But look at verse 21. Jesus clarifies. He has no root in himself. That's the problem with our rocky soil. He has no root in himself. Translated, he professed a faith in Jesus that he never possessed. Now, just let that sober you for a moment. This this person's response for a season looked perfect. Deep emotion. I mean, it was was so much of what you would want to see what was there. But, but all the while, he was professing a faith in Jesus that he never possessed. This soil shows us that there is a way to be excited about the kingdom of, of God without ever entering the kingdom of God. There is a way that we can like Jesus, respect Jesus, admire Jesus without ever being rescued by Jesus. That, that is a possibility in every one of our lives that we can profess a faith that we do not possess. And Jesus is teaching us here that one of the defining marks of genuine faith, one true test of genuine faith is not how emotional faith is in a moment, but how enduring it is over a lifetime. Just consider that for a moment. That, That is one test of genuine faith It's not how emotional in the moment it is, it's how enduring it is. Does it persevere? The faith that saves stays. It stays in our life. It perseveres. The Bible doesn't just place stress on how we enter the Christian life, but how we stay in it, how we finish, how we persevere to the end. You'll know you have a genuine faith in Jesus in the moment that you die and you're still loving Jesus. That's how we know, because faith perseveres to the end. It overcomes to the end. So ask yourself the question, is is this you? This rocky soil, this superficial soil. Jesus is not just after an emotional moment with him, but true conviction about him. That's what he's after. Put yourself in the story, would this be you? Is this where you fit in the story? Then we have the third soil. Look at verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And in Mark's telling of this parable, uh, when he records it, he, he adds this one phrase, and the desire for other things. So, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Uh, now, again, this is just common agriculture imagery. Everybody in the crowd was familiar with it, they'd all seen fields taken over by weeds. They'd all seen crops destroyed by thorns and thistles that began to compete with and absorb the the soil's life-giving resources. They'd all seen that moment, but for those who had ears to hear, they began to see another picture in in this moment, not of a thorn-infested field, but of a thorn-infested heart, or we might could say it this way, a divided heart. That's our third soil. Uh, They began to see uh, this picture of uh, gospel see, the word of the kingdom being scattered into the hearts of people, and into those hearts there were thorns and thistles that just abounded. A hundred other competing loves, and over time it began to suffocate and, and choke out a love for Jesus in them. Now, let me just offer a few observations about these thorns and uh, thistles that we see here choking out uh, the seed. Uh, first, I, I think it's good just to acknowledge that thorns are native to our hearts. You don't have to go and plant seeds in your heart to produce thorns. They just naturally spring up and grow in our heart. This is just part of what it means to be born post-Genesis chapter 3. Thorns are native to the soil of our heart. We're born with them. So the question isn't, are thorns in your heart? It's, are they overtaking you? Is your heart so divided that Jesus just cannot grow and develop in your life? That thorns are native to the soil of our hearts. Secondly, thorns are competitors. They're competitors. Now just see, see that picture here. The, the seed of the gospel and the seeds of thorns are in the same space competing for the same nutrients. They, they cannot coexist together. One's gonna win and one's gonna lose. One's gonna live and one's gonna die. It is a life and death battle for, for oxygen, for, for resources, for nutrients, the thorns are competitors. Uh, thirdly, I uh, just observe in this text here in verse uh, 22, the, the thorns cause a slow fade into fruitlessness. Th- that's the end result of the, these thorns. It's a slow fade into fruitlessness. And this is what's so sobering about this particular soil, uh, this particular heart, this overcrowded, divided heart. It's the least obvious of all of them. It's not apparent on the surface. Like your heart can be infested with thorns and it be unrecognizable to you. That's what's so sobering about this particular heart. It can be happening and us be unaware of it because these thorns slowly grow. And as they slowly grow in us, they slowly choke out our spiritual life. And as they slowly choke out our spiritual life, day by day by day, we lose our fruitfulness. But it's slow, it's by degrees. And then our fruitfulness of God, no spiritual vitality, no growth year by year that's identifiable and surprising in our life. Nobody's life is being changed through ours for Jesus' sake. fruitlessness just disappears, but it's gradual. It's by degrees. I mean, this is what's so sobering about this soil. This person never stops liking Jesus. They like Jesus a lot. They just love other things a little bit more than Jesus. That's why it's so unrecognizable and hard to see in our lives. Fourth observation is Jesus names the thorns. He calls them by name. He doesn't leave us wondering what they are. He, he calls them these things, the cares of this world. Just slowly growing to love the things of this world more than Jesus, losing our exile sort of identity, just beginning to believe more and more that this world's our home, not, not the next one. The cares of this world begin to grow up in our heart. Then he calls another one, the deceitfulness of riches. There is a reason why the Bible reserves 2,350 verses. That's a lot of verses in the Bible. There's a reason why that much space is dedicated to money and possessions. 15% of the words of Jesus, about half the parables deal with money and possessions. There's a reason for that. It's not because God wants your money. He owns it all anyway, right? It's because God wants you and me to be free from the love of money. That's why he talks so much about it. It's because he loves you and knows that money and possessions are a ruthless competitor for the affection of your your heart. He, He knows this. He knows that money and possessions lure us with a very seductive voice into believing that what we really need for happiness, for significance, for satisfaction is just a little bit more a little bit more money, a few more possessions. That, that's what's going to do. This is why Jesus calls it the deceitfulness of riches because they are seductive whispers, but they're lies, but they're lies. And then he names the last one, the desire for other things. That, that's Mark's addition, the desire for other things. Not, now listen to this, it's not bad things. It's not sinful things. It's just loving other things. Our heart growing, or this love of other things growing in our heart, choking out a vibrancy for Jesus. And I just wonder, is that that happening in you? Listen, there's not a person in here who is not at risk for these weeds, for these thorns. We're all at risk for this. Do you remember our brother Demas? Paul talks about him in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says that his friend Demas had deserted him. Now, why did Demas desert Paul and Jesus? Here was the reason. Paul says because he was in love with this present world. He just just started to like this world more than Jesus, to to love this world more than Jesus. And it wasn't always that way with Demas. Demas. Once Demas was a humble servant of the king, he had the, the, the dirt of ministry under his fingernails, serving Jesus faithfully. But then this slow, gradual drift began. And that slow, gradual drift led to desertion. Just loving this world too much. You know, I've always found this thought to be so sobering. For the enemy to derail your life, think about that, for the enemy to derail your life, Subvert the things God wants to do in your life. For the enemy to derail your life, he doesn't need you to hate God. He doesn't have to have that as the goal. He doesn't need you to hate God. He he just needs you to love the things of this world a little more than the God you once loved so much. That's all he needs to do. Is just to grow in your heart a love of other things that eclipses your love and your liking of Jesus. That's all he has to do to derail your life—the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things—for for you just to gravitate and, and move toward your—the you're affection of your heart to move toward those things—is that happening to you? Can you identify yourself in that seat in this soil—the the divided heart—and then you get to verse twenty-three. Here's our fourth soil as for what was sown on good soil. So the sower is scattering the seed, the word of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus, and for what was sown, for what landed on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Now again, they've all seen the picture. Uh, The seed is scattered, and it falls into good ground that is open and fertile and ready that nourishes the seed, allowing it to grow. Uh, The thorns are uprooted. The the rocks are removed. The the roots are deep and dependable in this seed, and the plant can withstand the the stress of persecution and suffering and tribulation, so it grows and produces fruit. But for those who had ears to hear, they began to see this other picture— Not of good soil, but of this good heart, of what we might call the the open heart. For people who had ears to hear, they know he's talking about more than plants. He's talking about people. People who hear with an open heart. And Jesus says they understand, that they see their deep need for Jesus, they see that Jesus has come uh, to, to live for them, die for them, risen from the dead. On the third, third day, Jesus becomes beautiful to them, and they respond wholeheartedly to Him. they receive the, the seed of the gospel, the word of the kingdom uh, with gladness, and they begin to bear fruit. That they hear, they understand, and they begin to bear fruit. For some, it's a hundredfold. For some, it's 60. And for some, it's 30. And this is a picture of genuine... Persevering, fruit producing faith. Faith, genuine faith, always, every time it always produces fruit. We worked through the book of James uh, this last spring and we continually made this point clear that faith alone saves. That is true. Faith alone, all by itself, is what rescues and saves a human being. Faith alone saves, but saving faith shows itself in fruitfulness. Yes, saving faith, it's faith alone that saves, but faith that saves is never alone. It shows itself in fruitfulness. For some, that growth will be slower, and for some, that the harvest will be smaller, but saving faith always, every time, shows itself in fruitfulness. So does this soil describe you? Just think about your life. Can you look in your life right now and see genuine fruitfulness Like, like in you? Can, can you see that? Look, look at yourself a year ago or two years ago and look at yourself now. Can, can you see growth in grace? Can you see the fruit of the Spirit growing and being formed in you? And if you're wondering about that, ask some other people that you know. Ask your community. That would be a great question for for groups this week. When you look at my life, can you see identifiable fruit growing in me? Can you see fruit being produced through your life or people being changed by your life? Is Jesus using your life for the sake of other people? Is this where you fit in the story? Now, I just wanna end by essentially offering two quick applications, two applications. These are gonna go really fast. Two things that I think rightly hearing this parable would cause us to do, uh, two things. The, the first thing is I think it would cause us to take a good hard look at ourselves, to, to look at yourself, to, to examine yourself. Which soil represents you? You, Listen, your life, not month, not year, not day, the next billion years hangs on how you hear, how you listen. It's that important. So take a good, hard look at yourself. And Paul commends this to the church in Corinth. In, In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. He's saying, look at yourself. Ask questions about yourself. See if you have the genuine article, real faith in you. Uh, Church, it is not what you pretend to be that matters, but what you actually are. That's what matters. And to see what we actually are, we have to take time to consider that. Uh, to take a good look at ourselves, And passages like this are meant to shake us out of pretending so that we can see what's really there. It's interesting, the, the very next parable that Jesus um, s- speaks is the parable of the weeds and wheat. And, and here's essentially the point of the parable. Uh, the point of the parable is to say there is a day quickly approaching, approaching when what we are, either weeds or wheat, will be revealed. But but when it's revealed in the last day, it's too late to change. So so he's saying, look at yourself, consider these things now. Let's allow Jesus to show us, is there a genuine, persevering, fruit-producing faith in us? Can, Can you see evidence of the Lord's grace in your life? If so, thank God for that. Jesus clarifies for us in this parable, in the telling of it, that if that's true, if you're good soil receiving the gospel, the word of the kingdom, it is because God has plowed your heart and opened your eyes to see the mysteries of the kingdom. God has done that for you. And if not, this is your chance to come to God, asking him to do all that needs to be done in your heart to make it ready and receptive to the word. So look at yourself. And then secondly... Look to Jesus. Yes, look at yourself, but even more importantly, look to and keep looking to and keep on looking to to Jesus. Uh, The faith that saves stays. Genuine faith is a persevering faith. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Genuine faith makes it to the end. And here's what a persevering faith looks like in action. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it feels like to have a persevering faith. We just keep on looking to Jesus. That's what it feels like in, in normal everyday life. We just keep looking at Jesus. When we're stumbling, we keep looking at Jesus. When persecution breaks out, when it costs us something to follow Jesus, we just keep looking to Jesus. When the cares of this world creep into our heart, we keep looking to Jesus. When wealth starts to whisper and pull us away from Jesus, we keep looking at Jesus. He really is the master gardener. He really is the one who tills our heart, removes the rocks, pulls out the weeds and it's our job. And this is is the job of a Christian just to to keep looking at Jesus, always looking at Jesus. So church, can can we today make that sort of a resolve, that sort of a commitment to day by day, moment by moment, let's be a people gazing upon the risen Christ, amen? Would you bow with me? I want to give you just a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful today and to wipe away the things that would not be helpful for you. Your life hangs on your hearing. When you put yourself into the story, where where do you find yourself in the story? For some, we have been gospel-hardened. And in the amazing providence of God, God brought you into this room or maybe it's you watching online today. And he brought you to this moment. He's arranged a thousand different circumstances to make this moment possible for you to hear the scriptures for seed to be sown into your heart today. And God is doing the miracle of plowing your heart, making it receptive and open for the very first time to him. And what he's asking of you today is for you to take that decisive step where you turn from all of your sin all the things that you know disqualify you before God. And for you to turn from all of those good things that you look to to build your life and to build your resume so that you can kind of find some presentability before God. He's saying, no, I want you to turn from all of those things and I want you to come to me with the empty hands of faith, trusting in my life, my death, my resurrection for your rescue. He's asking for you to take that decisive step today And just there where you are in the best way you know how, you can pray to him, you can offer your life to him, ask him to rescue you today. And he would love to do that. And for others in the room, Jesus is speaking today, he's showing us today, He's, he's talking to us today. So let's be a people who listen and respond to whatever that is that he's saying. So, oh God, would you do the ongoing miracle in each of our hearts to keep our hearts sensitive and open and responsive to you. Oh, God, would you do that? Would you put in this church family a persevering faith, a fruit-producing faith? God, would you do that for us? God, we want to be a church that is good soil, open and ready to say yes to whatever it is that you would put before us. So God, would you make our heart, would you till our heart, would you, would you come as the master gardener preparing the soil of our heart for all of those things that you would have in front of us? Oh God, do it. And it's in your good name that we ask it. Amen.